Let's turn in God's holy word now to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Rick mentioned uh, today in the life of the congregation, it's a special day as we see the ordination installation of our newest deacon. And I thought it was appropriate as we prepare to come to the ordination of Todd and his installation that I'd like to turn this morning to Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. It's found on page, let me see here if I can find it. Um, bulletin's a little long today. Let's see, page 914 of your pew Bible. I would encourage you to turn there as we read from God's Word. We are in the early days of the church there in Acts chapter 6. The church is increasing. She is changing the world. The resurrected Christ has come forth from the tomb alive. New creation is breaking in. The kingdom of God is advancing. Disciples are increasing. The Spirit has been poured out. It's estimated that uh, there's no less than 20,000 believers now there in Jerusalem. But a problem has arisen within the church that strikes and threatens the, the peace and unity of the brethren, right? Satan is always active. We want to rest, but he always wants to roam, you see. Rest when you get to heaven, John Owen would say. But we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and that day of rest is yet to come. But the devil has tried to stop the progress of the gospel through persecution. Now he tries to stop the progress through internal strife through internal division, factions, splintering within the body. So let's listen now to Acts chapter 6. I'll read verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, that's the days of Pentecost, it's just happened within months of when that has occurred, when the disciples were increasing, multiplying in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected or overlooked in the daily distribution, that is the daily distribution of food that was being provided by the church. And the twelve, that is the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, the, the whole congregation, as it were. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and, and Philip, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask this God who's breathed out this word through his apostles and prophets to bless now and give illumination, open our eyes to see. Our Father, we would pray and we would ask that you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart. Lord, we need you. We don't need the words of a man. We need the living God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, you who breathed out this word through your Luke would come now 
and illuminate this word to us that we might see great and wonderful things. We might see your provision in giving officers for the church that she might be duly equipped for every good work. Oh, our Father, we look to you and you alone. We trust not in horses. We trust not in chariots. We trust not and dare not trust the arm of flesh that fails every time. But we trust you, the author and the finisher of our faith, the great captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ. Amen. In Ephesians 4.8, as I read last week at the congregational meeting, Paul tells us that when the Lord Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. These gifts were in the form of church officers for the governing and the perfecting of the saints. We're told there that he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Now we know that the first two offices listed there, apostles and prophets, were abolished with the closing of the canon of Scripture, that the foundation was laid by the apostles on the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and with the closing of the 27 New Testament books, the canon is now closed, those gifts of apostles and prophets cease to be. Now, there's some debate in reform circles about the abiding office of evangelists, and I'm not going to go there this morning, but I want us to notice that pastors and teachers are the two that continue uh, until Christ returns. And along with the pastor, teacher, elder, comes the exalted, the exalted Christ is given uh, the office of deacon. The deacon is a service-oriented office that focuses primarily on caring for the physical and material needs of in the congregation. All too often in the history of the church, the office of deacon has been misunderstood and underappreciated, I believe. Some have viewed it merely as a, a stepping stone to the office of elder, a presbyter in training. And I hate to say, I, I think at times we maybe have thought that, and that's wrong. We should not be thinking that way. That's, that would be unbiblical. But in Acts 6 here, in chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, also in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8, 13, we see that that's not the case. While the office of elder has its roots in the Old Testament, the office of deacon is a unique New Testament office that arose out of the needs of the growing church there in Acts chapter 6. And here in Acts 6, it arises from the needs of the poor, the destitute, who, widows, who have a, have a need. There's an existential need, a concrete need. There, there's a division potential here. There's disruption that's going to splinter the church. Two groups of people are arguing about food, widows. What could go wrong, right? But Satan is alive. He's roaming. He's active. He's seeking whom he may devour. He wants to thwart the purposes of God. He wants to stop the church. But Christ has said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. And yet, nonetheless... Satan tries. So let's look at the text before us just under three headings. Look at the problem, the solution, and the blessing. The problem, the solution, and the blessing. First, the problem. Now notice what it says there in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists. Now who were the Hellenists? These were primarily Greek-speaking Jewish Christians who had been shaped by the Greek culture in large. They primarily spoke Greek. But a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. These are the native Hebraic or Aramaic-speaking Jewish Christians. And what was the complaint that arose between these two groups? 
Well, the Hellenist widows, the Greek-speaking widows, believed that they were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Now, that presupposes that the church is concerned about the material needs of the saints. Not only word and sacrament, but the church is concerned about the material welfare of those under her charge, right? That's what's going on here. In the ancient world, we know that the widows had no one to stand up for them. There was no safety net. There was no social program. The Romans didn't care for widows. There was no social security. There was no welfare, no agencies to help them. But we know that the Lord had a particular place in his own heart for widows. Right? He had instructed the Old Testament saints to, to take care of the widows and the fatherless. Deuteronomy 10.24, right? The instruction was to continue in the New Testament. Here early in the church, established, they established a, a daily distribution of food for believing widows who were in need. James tells us this much, right? That we're to care for widows. That religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Pretty simple, right? It's kind of like Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord ask of the old man? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What is pure religion before the Father? To love widows, to, to care for orphans, to not be shaped by the affections and the, the mores, the, the milieu of this present evil age of the world, to keep oneself unspotted from it. Well, this ministry was so important in the early church the caring for of widows, according to 1 Timothy 5.9, they, they began to keep a list of widows who, who needed assistance. You see, it's no use being more spiritual than God, C.S. Lewis would say. Right? God cares for the body. He loves the creation. He became man. He, he clothed himself with our humanity, with a, a body like ours and a reasonable soul. He, he loves his creation, he opens his hand, we're told in Psalm 145, and he feeds all the cattle in the field. He loves creation. He loves matter. He loves widows. He loves orphans. And we're told here now in Acts 6 that these Hellenistic believers accuse the church of neglecting their widows in favor of the Hebrew widows. You see, it was an us versus them mentality. It was beginning to fester in their midst, and it was threatening to divide the body. And we all know what a perceived favoritism will do to a family dynamic, right? If one parent favors another child over a, the other, just think back on the family of Isaac. Isaac, what happened there in that dynamic? All through the Old Testament, we see the dangers of, of prejudice and favoritism. Well, the conflict here in Acts 6 had the potential to create divisions along very contentious racial and ethnic lines. Luke tells us that a complaint arose. This word complaint is the same word used in the Old Testament Greek text in Exodus 16.7 to murmur. The church began to murmur. I'm not very happy. They began to look inward. When you're spending all your time looking inward, all your energies inwardly, what do you forget? You forget the kingdom of God, the advancement of the kingdom, and that God so loved the world 
and that he gave his only begotten son, right? You, you start to take your eyes off the north star of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you begin to look inward, and you begin to murmur and complain. You see, beloved, the body of Christ was in danger of splitting. There's murmuring. It was growing. They were increasing in number. But, but notice again, Satan is not resting. You see, saints, we want to rest. He wants to roam. That's why he, he loves to use what I believe here was an in, un, unintentional wrong to divide the church. Right? So let me just say this to you, just as a, a sidebar, so to speak. If there's something that you have with another believer in the church today? Some way that perhaps that person has offended you, hurt you, then it's incumbent upon you to leave your gift at the altar and go and make it right. right? Not let that fester like a sore. Right? You get a splinter in your finger. I had one a few weeks ago. I didn't attend to it right away, but I let it stay there, and it began to become infectious, right? The... the, the all the ugliness, the pus, everything, ugh, just grows. Well, that can happen spiritually, right? It's cancer. It metastasizes. You got something, I'm not happy. I don't like the way that elder does this. That deacon, he didn't come visit me when I had a need, right? You let it sit there, and you just begin to crank, complain and murmur, right? You find yourself like, like Miriam and Aaron. Who is this guy I think he is? I could do a better job. Right? But see, oftentimes, those who are not in the arena, to quote Teddy Roosevelt, love to critique those who are. Just be careful. Be careful. Be careful of the murmuring. Be careful of the complaining. It's incumbent upon you to go to your brother, go to your sister, speak to them. Mono on mono, look them in the eye and share with them your concern. Well, notice how the apostles respond, the solution in verses 2 to 6. Notice what they do. Elders, notice what they do. They, they call a congregational meeting. Now, did they give the 30 days notice? I don't know. But they call a meeting, right, to propose a way forward. Notice there's no attempt to assign blame they mirror the Lord Jesus Christ by showing compassion and looking for a solution because they are the men in the arena. They're the men on the battlefield, on the front lines of ministry. They're solution-oriented, so they call a congregational meeting. And Luke tells us in verse 2, after summoning the disciples, all the disciples, the apostles tell them it would not be right for them to neglect the primary calling of the preaching of the word and prayer in order to serve tables. Now, think about this. We just stated earlier at the beginning of the sermon that there's estimated to be upward of 20,000 people. Many of them are coming from the margins in the culture. right? Not the aristocratic, not the Sanhedrin types, but the poor, the needy, the destitute. Kind of like David's men, right? In the, in the cave of Adullam, right? <laughs> the ragamuffins, right? All the fringe, Right? They had tons of need. Can you imagine the logistical and administrative needs that were presented to the early church? We like to romanticize and think, oh, I want to go back to the first century. Oh, do you? Oh, do you? My brother Bill, who I love immensely and have the utmost respect for, prayed that God would bring in an awakening 
a revival. Are you ready? For God to, to rend the heavens and to come down? To open the windows and flood the church with little trophies of grace? Right? It can get crazy fast and sideways. Right? And it was happening that way. It's dynamic. It's a lot of energy, a lot of things happening, a lot of moving parts. But it's messy, nonetheless. Let's be real. Let's not over-romanticize this. Right? But what I want us to understand here is don't misunderstand and think that the, the service of waiting tables, that logistically administering the daily distribution of the food to all the widows and the orphans in the church was beneath the apostles. The dignity of serving the church widows is seen in verse 3, is it not, with the high qualifications, right? What are the qualifications for the men who are tasked with this ministry? They must be men full of the Holy Spirit. They must be men of good repute. They must be men of wisdom. You see, it's not beneath the apostles, but it was not the apostles' primary calling. You see, it was, the good, it was a good thing, but it was not the best thing for the apostles to be doing. It was not beneath them, but it was not their primary calling. The risen Christ had called the apostles to be his witnesses. Had he not, in chapter 1, verse 8, you shall be my witnesses. To the ends of the earth, so wait in the upper room till power shall clothe you. And you will go out to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's your mission. To advance the kingdom through the proclamation of the word, through, through prayer, through sacraments. Through the foolishness of preaching, God would slay the hearts of men and bring sinners redeemed by grace into his kingdom. You see, the risen Christ had called the apostles to this task. Apostles knew this, and they were men who were going to stay on point. So that's why the apostles instruct the believers in verse 3 to 4 to, to pick out, notice what he says, to pick out from among you seven men. Why seven? Why not eight? Why six? Well, seven's the number of perfection, perhaps. Maybe there were seven because there's seven days of the week. And maybe Stephen would oversee Monday, and Philip... Tuesday, and so forth and so on. We don't know. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I can speculate, but we don't want to do too much of that. But notice what it says. Notice the but, the conjunction there. The but, the contrast. But we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to the prayer, to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. So the solution was seven men to fulfill this new office, whom the Apostle Paul would later call deacon in 1 Timothy 3. Deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, meaning servant, helper. Notice the qualifications. Notice what they must not be or not need to be. They don't need to be the most popular guys. They don't need to be the guys that have the, the, the greatest sense of humor they don't need to be the guys who are the most savvy. Oh, well, they've been to uh, Darden School of Business. They got an MBA. No. Uh, it's, it's, that's all fine and well. I'm not in, discouraging that. And go for it. <laughs> Pursue excellence. Be responsible with the talents that God has given you. But they must be. Notice what it says. They must be men of spiritual maturity. 
They must be men of good reputation. They must be blameless. Not sinless, but blameless. There's nothing of, no, nothing of ill repute. There's nothing I can say. Well, that guy, I'm just not sure. You know, he's, I don't like the way. He, has, he drinks a lot. He doesn't spend his money well, so forth and so on. This thing's called into question. No, he, they're men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They must be genuine Christians, not novices, but men who can be trusted to care to care for the resources of the church that have been entrusted to them, right? And while not called primarily to preach and teach, the deacon must hold fast and be ready to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. He must be a doctrinally sound man. Notice also here, let me just say this, notice also that they were all men. If the office of deacon had been open to women, now listen with, do the, do the deductive reasoning with you, put on your logic caps. If this office had been open to women, would not now have been the time to have women serve in this office? Right? This ministry all was devoted to the ministry to minister the needs of women. But here in 1 Timothy Three, the office is specifically limited to men. In verse 5, we're told that the recommendation to the apostles pleased the whole gathering, the whole congregation. Not the apostles, but the congregation chose seven men. Did you notice this as well? That all seven men had Greek names. You think that was wise? Yeah, it was incredibly wise. Because it's a problem that has arisen between the Hellenistic widows and the Hebraic widows. Do you think those Hellenistic widows felt more served, more cared for, when the apostles, after the congregation, voted on them, appointed them to serve in this capacity? He can relate with me. He understands me. He knows me. See how full of wisdom they are? See how full of Holy Spirit they are? Verse 6, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. We're going to do that shortly with Todd. With the ministry of the widows now in the hands of these capable men, we're told here that the apostles were able to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They were able to resume what God had called them to primarily, to preach the word and to pray, to preach the word and to pray, and to minister to the physical, material needs of the widows and the orphans in their midst. Let me give you three applications for the church today. Three things, very quickly. First, the early church took its responsibility to carry out both the preaching of the word and mercy ministry seriously, extremely seriously. They stress the primacy of the proclaimed word and sacraments, but never to the exclusion of helping believers who were in material need. Beloved, both elders and deacons are needed to fulfill the task the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the church, has given us here at All Saints. We minister to the saints in both word and deed. Right? And that's exactly what our deacons do, particularly so, indeed. Behind the scenes, ministering, meeting with folks, counseling folks, 
helping them think through the financial obligations they have, whether they can afford things, right? It gets into the, the, the nitty-gritties. It gets granular and with great specificity. You wouldn't believe the things that our deacons do, but they do incredible work, and you can give praise to God because they are men who are what? In the arena. They are men who are in the fight, on the front lines of ministry. Well, secondly... The early church was flexible. It was willing to adjust its procedures, right, the daily distribution of food, to ensure it could meet its first priority of prayer and the word. That's why one of the criteria for men who fulfill this office would be men who are full of the Holy Spirit and men who have wisdom. And what is wisdom? The fear of God. That's what wisdom is. It's skill for living God's way and God's world, quorum Deo, before his face. What does God require of me here? How am I to love and love my neighbor in this area? Love him and love my neighbor in this area. The deacon understands this. You see, the deacon understands that ministry is messy. It's the application of the word of God to sinners who are now saints, you need wisdom and flexibility. They are a must. And I have in my notes, Todd, you will learn to pray a lot. Men who are in the arena learn to pray. Because the trials, the circumstances, the ministry is so overwhelming, you realize my talents are not enough. I need the God of the talents. I need God. I don't just need better procedures, better methods. No, I need God. Because God is the one who can change the heart of a man. God is the one who can change the leopard spots. God is the one who can take the pig out of the mud and clean him up and make him a prince. God and God alone. You see, the man in the arena, the elder, the deacon, they understand this. I want you to understand this as you pray for them, as you give God praise and thanks for them. Thirdly, notice that the early church refused to assign blame, preferring rather to expend its energy in correcting the problem to ensure it could carry out its primary mission of word and deed. Notice also the apostles were not afraid of turning over the vital ministry of mercy to others. Don't miss that, elder. All right? My little ministry. Only I can do it. No. Oh, it's not your ministry. The ministry belongs to the king. The king of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a table setter. You're an earthen vessel. You contain in yourself, as you are faithful to the gospel, the treasure, which is Jesus Christ. But he's the treasure. You see, let me just say this. There's always a danger in the visible church to get sidetracked. To not keep the main thing the main thing. To do a lot of good things. 
a lot of right things, but not the best thing and not the primary thing that God has called us to here at All Saints. Beloved, the, the session's North Star is the North Star of Scripture. For the elder, that is prayer and the Word. And let me just say this to you. I think one of the hardest things the elder can do is to learn how to pray. If you'd have asked me that 20 years ago, I wouldn't have said that. I'd have said preparing sermons. I'm telling you, Christian, and you know this in the heart of hearts, isn't it? To pray. Is there anything more like John Calvin than praying? Because what are you doing when you're praying? You're saying, God, I have nothing. I have nothing. I have no resources. I, I don't have any methods. I don't have any tactics, strategies, right? Uh, all that's out the window. I don't have a formula. That's nothing formulaic. You just go, God, I need you. I, I need you to intervene. I need you to give the increase here. I, I need to have you search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and, and lead me in the way of everlasting life. God is real, right? You see, God becomes really real when you're in the arena, right? It's not just a pontification of, of even right doctrine. You can have right doctrine and be a child of the devil, Do you know God? Do you walk with God? Do you delight in God? And Jermaine to Rick's excellent class this morning, do, do you enjoy God? Did you hear that? We talk a lot about glorifying God. But do you enjoy Him? Just like you enjoy wife that God gave you in your youth or your friend or uh, something in creation that you enjoy, uh, perhaps uh, a vacation, whatever. Do you enjoy him? Are you growing your enjoyment of God? These are searching questions, but valid questions. You see, the church's greatest need is the faithful proclamation, prayer-filled preaching of the Word. Dennis Johnson says this, if the elders are going to talk to the congregation about God, then they better make sure they have made time to speak to God about them. Right, I've preached a many a dud sermon. Was it because I was derelict in my duties, rightly dividing the word of God, parsing all the Greek participles? They're incredibly important. All the prepositions. Or maybe in the Hebrew, right? It's a hit pile. No, it's a, it's a peel. No, whatever. Uh, you can do all of that and still be far, far away from God. You can be a beautiful cloud and promise a lot of rain, but it's all for naught. It's all show. It's all smoke and mirrors because you have not sought the face of God. The pastor hadn't sought the face of God. You know, and I was telling somebody today, that's one of my greatest regrets is that I have not sought the face of God the way I should for you, for my own family, my own children. I say this, my shame. Not to somehow woo you, make you feel sorry. No, no, no. 
that you would pray for this man. You'd pray for me. Right? Dutch theologian Willemus Abrackel, who's going to name his son Willemus? Right? I'm going to look for that. We got some pregnancies in the, in the church. Yanerts, Willemus Abrackel. He gives four particular characteristics or qualities. First, the deacon must be men of compassion. The burden of the poor must so weigh upon them as if them themselves were afflicted with it. Right? They vicariously identify with it, just like Christ. Isn't that like Christ? He comes alongside. He doesn't come from afar and speak from on high, but he draws near. He gets his fingernails dirty in the soil of our hearts. He gets into the nooks and crannies, and he gets bruised and bloodied because he's the man in the arena, (laughs) if there ever was one. They must be merciful and must have a kindness causing one to be inclined to help another. They must be open-handed, right? As a father cares for children, thirdly, the deacon must be careful and concerned as to how the poor can manage their affairs and have enough to live and thus be able to thank the Lord. And fourthly, they must be cheerful and friendly. They must not be sour and dour. They must be a friendly, of a friendly disposition. A kind word and friendly countenance are the most refreshing to the poor. Deacon, when that person comes to you and asks you for material need, you come and with a smile on your face, wanting to help. Oh, I want to serve you. Oh, I want to help you with the resources God has given the church. Oh, please let me help you. With wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, as a man of good repute. Oh, beloved. Now, finish. let's finish this thing and close it. Let's land the plane. Verse 7, a little postscript there. Notice what happens. Satan's devices were thwarted, weren't they? He sought to persecute the church, to silence them with swords and punishments and imprisonments, imprisonments. But notice what happens here as he seeks to destroy the church with division. But notice what God does, this little postscript, verse 7. And the word of God, what? Continued to increase. God took what was meant for evil and used it for good. And the number of the disciples, what? What happened? They multiplied. No, 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 no. They didn't just multiply. They multiplied greatly, (laughs) mega greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests... What do you mean? Priests can come to believe? Pharisees can be saved? Oh, yes. Yes, Jesus of Nazareth, crucified, dead, and buried, and raised. He can save Pharisees. He can save preachers. Yes. He can save us. The church increased, grew in strength and vitality. Beloved, he who did not spare his own son, is he not going to give us all things and all good things for his church? You see, the gates of hell cannot stand against the church, his bride. The church resumed its ministry of mercy, and the apostles returned to the word, and the result was the word of God increased, and great many of the priests came to faith, and the church was multiplied. Saints, the Lord Jesus Christ provided then... And he has been provided for his church since her inception there at Pentecost. 
He is providing today. He is providing what gift? Todd Vernon. Have you ever thought about Todd being a gift? Todd Vernon's a gift. Because God's given his church a deacon. That's a beautiful thing. Who's like our God, church? There's no God like our God. Praise his holy name. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for gifting and equipping your church that she might be perfected, giving her the office of elder and the office of deacon. We thank you for Todd, and we pray now and ask your blessing upon him and upon us as we go forward in Jesus Christ. We pray in your holy name. Amen.